0: just important to have sort of a more in-depth perspective from people from different communities and to also delve a little bit deeper into certain topics that maybe we didn't before or that people are curious about so like somebody who is mixed indigenous and philippinex somebody who is a part of the black community but also a part of the philippinex community things like that and so those were really important for us
1: You're listening to Interno, a time capsule that profiles artists who are recalibrating their internal lives and perspectives of home, longing and connection adjacent to the global pandemic. Presenters of your podcast conversations, Interno explores some of the ideas that amplify artistic value and social duty in times of flux. These conversations will also consider what a post-pandemic future may look like so that we can continue to move together to its brightness. Host: Mariam Arcelia, and I've created Interno on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Interno is made possible with support from the Institute of Modern Art in Australia. Each episode is accompanied by transcripts and reading notes, which you can find on the website makingart.org. My first guest is Sorry, Sorry. A creative collective based in New York City that supports creatives and innovators from the Philippines diaspora, which we'll refer to as Filipinx people, which will be explained in this episode later on. In Tagalog, sari sari means variety, and in the Philippines, sari stores are family run convenience shops attached to the front of houses. They usually have this mixed bag DIY operation. Here, you can find anything from candy and cooking oil to shampoo sachets and prepaid mobile phones. As a collective, Sarisari produces exploratory content, community projects, and a BIPOC marketplace. And most recently, they launched a quarantine-themed publication that connects Filipinx people around the world. Today I'm speaking with Sarasari directors Marielle Sales and Gabrielle Mozo in New York City and Mal Tayag, who is presently in Canada. And in this episode, we talk about shared identities, the power of language, and solidarity with our Bible communities. We also discuss how we can approach social justice through the rubric of creativity and activism. A warning. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this episode contains the name of deceased people. Marielle, Gabby, and Mal, thanks for joining us today. Hey, happy to be the first guest. So under the Sorry, Sorry banner, you recently launched your third issue of Kapwa, a publication championing Filipinx creativity around the world. This felt like a connective gel for many of us who were embroiled in the thickness of social distancing and lockdown. A Kapwa is a Tagalog term that translates to shared identity, equality, and being with others. And it's this inclusive term that you're hoping to encapsulate with Sorry, Sorry. Uh, Gabi? it was you that first came across this word capua how did that come about I was reading this
2: book actually that's um Filipino American psychology which breaks down all of the kind of pillars of um, Filipino culture and one of the pillars is capua which is shared identity but when you kind of read the definition you understand what it is already like Filipinos are always around to help each other and I think like that's so much about our community. And what we wanted to do was create like a modern interpretation within the creative community of like how we can come together, all of us, wherever we come from, whether it's from the Philippines, in the US, from wherever, the diaspora, how we can come together and still have a shared identity, even though we don't really know each other.
1: Yeah, this vision of a shared identity definitely vibrates through the latest Kapwa issue, which you have aptly themed. Quaranzine, um which features 60 Filipinx ex- contributors like BJ Pascual, Aquino, uh, uh, Puno Dostres, uh, Lugao, and Maari, to name a few. Uh, these people work across diverse fields and are based around the world, including Tokyo, Makati, Toronto, Pennsylvania, Los Angeles. How did you corral this group together for the magazine?
0: That was a lot of Marielle's doings. So. <laughs> So we give props to her for, she's kind of magical in that way of being able to garner a lot of people and get them together. And in curating is definitely a group effort in suggesting people or, um, I guess, going back in the Rolodex of people who we may maybe have archived or wanted to work with. But really, Marielle did an amazing job with just garnering all of these people and asking them to get content and to contribute to this physical being of kapwa that we put together because it is coming out in a print issue but then we also did that um for donations to pagasa in digital version as well
1: And I found out about Kapwa through that digital version, actually, because I saw Instagram posts about it through two Filipino designers. And it's marvelous to discover this new wave of Filipinx people who are creating this sense of connection during quarantine, because we inherently are a nation that really commit our lives to service and inclusivity. And, you know, we may not always say mahal kita" or I love you orally. But we show it through cooking for people and inviting pe- strangers into our homes and um, singing to our family and mothering our society. And I feel that the sense of shared identity and generosity is captured in the publication Mal, was this something that you recognized early on when you were putting What together?
0: Yeah, I remember um, when Marielle had started sharing all of the content that she was gathering from the interviews and stuff that she had done and um, texting the group chat and being like, oh my God, these interviews, like I can't wait for people to read them because they were all so connected and 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 different as well, like diverse in the sentiments that they were feeling at those times. But for the longer interviews that I did, it was just important to have sort of a more in-depth perspective from people from different communities um, and to also delve a little bit deeper into certain topics that maybe we didn't before or that people are curious about. So like um, somebody who is mixed Indigenous and Filipinx, somebody who is a part of the Black community, but also a part of the Philippinex community, things like that. And so those were really important for us. And they they're always things that we think about whenever we're creating content and we continue to grow and learn, but we always want to make sure that we are being as inclusive as we can and, and open to being called out if people, you know, see that we're not being that. Um, and just including as many voices as we can that fall under the umbrella of the Philippinex diaspora.
1: Now, Marielle, you and Gabby started Sarasari initially as a pop-up store. Can you talk about the impetus behind this?
3: I was looking for like a community here in New York, especially in the creative industry, but I feel like it was hard to find it. Um, In other places, like where my friends were living in Toronto, I feel like they had such a close-knit creative community and other cultures also were starting to form these like collectives around their Heritage, and I feel like that was missing in New York, especially for Filipinos and creatives. Me and Gabby, we've known each other since we were 19 from New Jersey, and you know, we just met each other through like other Filipinos actually. We formed Sorry Sorry in 2018. It just came about randomly because uh, she had a clothing line, it was vintage, and she wanted to do a pop-up and I just wanted to do something creative. So we like combined a pop-up for one day, but just like leading up to the pop-up, we were deciding what to call it. And since everyone who was involved were Filipino, we were like, oh, we should call it. Sorry, sorry. And then from there, it just became like this project, which made us kind of put our heads into like... The space of what it means to be Filipino and growing up here in America.
1: And Mal, you joined Sorry Sorry a year later. How did that come about? I'm from
0: Canada actually. So I am the newest member of Sorry Sorry, now sorry sorry studio. Um, I met Gabby and Marielle in Was that only last year? That was only last year, I think, Um, 2019. But we haven't known each other for very long. Um, At that time, they were, sorry, sorry, New York. They were doing a bunch of events, and I had heard them uh, through a friend, actually, Camille. Um, She introduced us. We ended up getting along, we went for Filipino food, Uh, and then when I returned back to New York, we just started having more conversations and realized we aligned so much just in terms of our values, what we want to do for the community, and then I wanted to help out in any way that I could just in terms of business development, because that is my background. So my background is in business development, business strategy, but also in fashion and creative. I have a business called Schema, which is an agency and also we're launching soon a directory for women of color creatives. So women femmes, on binary and trans creatives of color. With sorry sorry, is well, I think that all of us, it's just kind of all hands on deck. We are officially a business, very newly officially a business. So it's a lot about figuring out as well and navigating what a, each of our skills are and trying to put all of that together because we all do have such different skills but they all marry so beautifully together so I feel like our values align our skills are very diverse and in that way we're able to create so much so quickly. was an
3: organic journey of like friends just wanting to come together and do something and then yeah it just formed and grew.
1: And it did grow from there. Uh, you ran a crowdfunding campaign in February 2020 to um, raise funds for publications, a video, and online shop. How did you call upon the community to help bankroll this next phase?
2: Over the past couple of years, we gained a platform. And in order to kind of build our brand and our community, we wanted to gain like some kind of monetary funds because, of course, to do all these things, we need Uh, money to be able to expand.
1: And
0: at that time, we had just become like officially a business. And in order to really execute all of these plans that we wanted to execute, we did need monetary funds. And I think that's something that a lot of people forget when they see these movements or these platforms on Instagram or on social media, they're like, oh, oh, cool, they're doing all these things. But behind the scenes, it's all on our free time. And so in order to kind of shift us from being Um, sort of this thing that we work on on the side to potentially something that is full-time in the future and that we can dedicate all of our time to and help expand that needs a little bit of a backing and we wanted to go the community route first before we sought any um, I guess corporate investment to see what we can pull from our community and actually our crowdfunding campaign is frozen right now because um, or it's on freeze it's on pause because of well, the world. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but there's a lot going on. And at the time when we launched, it was right at the beginning of kind of this, this very extreme unraveling of a lot of things. So um, yeah, we'll continue that when the time is right, but we didn't want to take away from what's going on right now.
1: Speaking of what's happening right now, Mal, I was struck by this interview you did in Capua with Lugao, an artist based in Mindoro Islands in the Philippines and NYC. Lugao said, I feel that there is a global awakening happening right now where people are realizing they don't have to compromise their happiness for profit. We can create a sustainable future which is in alignment with the laws of nature and caters to a natural state of being which is joy, which is just, you know, it it encapsulates pretty much everything we're seeing right now with efforts to dismantle capitalism. And I feel like people are waking up uh, with COVID aftermath around the world because coronavirus is, as much as it is, a public health crisis is an unmasking of the real pandemic, which is racial discrimination and social-political disharmony. And the great gap between rich and poor and perhaps coronavirus was the symptom that had to expose all of these things. So maybe tackling this head on could bring us closer to a more joyful and kinder world. So my next question, I guess, would be since Gabby and Marielle, you're in North America and Mal, you're in Canada. What is the energy right now where you are and what kind of awakening is happening? Starting with Gabby?
2: Well, I've been protesting like a few days now, probably like three or four times just because I live near Barclay Center and everything is kind of organized around that area. And it's really interesting, like the narrative that the media gives versus what's actually going on. And like the things that I'm seeing are just, it's so beautiful to see people come together, honestly. And like seeing such a, really diverse group of people just standing for one thing. And it's so emotional, you know, I've, it's just like so hard not to tear up when you see it or like talk about it. Cause it's, it's really beautiful. I went to a protest yesterday at um, Grand Army Plaza, and it was led by a Haitian group, and they were leading the protest with Haitian drums, and it was dancing. And it was just, it was so moving. So like when I see the news and I see how disconnected it, it is, I'm like, you realize how dangerous, how how dangerous the media is and how it's just not saying the truth. Because I've been living here and I see what's going on. And yes, there's looting. And yes, things were happening in the beginning of the protests. But every protest that I've been in, I protested probably four, four times, like walking, marching. It's all just people coming together. and we all just believe in the same thing. So I don't really know where the disconnect comes from. I don't know. I don't know how it is in BC.
0: In Vancouver. Yeah. Um, I I feel like whenever people ask me this, I'm like, it's the same but different because the same issues are still present here. But um, there's obviously hundreds and hundreds of pent-up anger that has been brewing within the States. And Canada is a much younger country, uh, so there's a lot more history there just with um, African-Americans, with Black folks and their community in the States. So I think that in that way, there are differences, but here people are still protesting and it's been a beautiful kind of butterfly effect that has come from the protests and from the uprising that is happening in the states right now because it has and you see it in the news though like gabby says sometimes that news is very skewed from the actual um, essence of what's going on but you do you see it in the news how there are protests happening all over the world now in the fight for black lives and that is so important because all all discrimination, all racism is rooted in anti-blackness and in colonial mentality, in like the disruption of indigenous lives. And so unless black people are free, none of us are free. So it's just something that is super important. So here protests happen, they're very, very peaceful, at least in in Vancouver, Um, led by black folks, really incredible energy. Um, I went to one the other day, and it's it's just really, really great to see how this movement is extending this purpose to communities that weren't a part of it before, because I feel like before doing protests and stuff like that, you would always see the same people. You would kind of be stuck in this echo chamber of people who were in the activist space, but now you're seeing so many more people come out. And I think that that's such a, a great thing to see is that, okay, people are really starting to open up their eyes to the realities of this world and not being stuck in their own like fake reality that they've been living in for their whole lives.
1: Yeah, and I think that right now we're seeing social media play a crucial role as well in unravelling that reality. We're seeing people call themselves out or educating others about their moral compass. We're seeing brands and institutions and museums really owning up to the fact that they need to have more Black employees and more Indigenous-led programs and BIPOC leadership and equity. And you can really tell who's staying silent and who's been complicit, which is equal to being racist, really. Mm -hmm. And those who are actually stepping up and making grand changes in the way that they make reparations with the black community in mind. And I think that's such a powerful thing that I haven't really seen before. In terms of protesting in Australia, we attended a protest here in Sydney over the weekend for indigenous deaths in custody in solidarity with George Floyd. And like you were saying, Gabby, the mainstream media has been twisting things around here as well and focusing on people who defy the strict social distancing rules that are in place. You know, in Australia, you're not allowed to go over a certain number of people in restaurants or funerals or weddings. And all of a sudden, you know, tens of thousands of people are out in the streets protesting in cities like Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. And um, I think what the media don't understand is that, you know, people are risking their lives and health to go outside and protest for what they believe is right, which is human justice. And at a very granular level, basically stop killing indigenous people. Right. You know, I was watching a Q&A program last night, and it's a current affair program in Australia with uh, Nakia Louie, who is an Aboriginal writer as a guest. And she talked about how her parents are immunocompromised. And at first she felt, um, you know, concerned for them because of the health impacts of protesting. But at the end of the day, it was an easy answer for the parents because they are fighting for their lives. The fear of corona fades when you know what you are truly fighting for when you step outside that door. So, yeah, the public health crisis is racism. And, you know, here in Australia, we have our own stories too. You know, David Dungay died under police custody in 2015. He was the same age as George Floyd. And he said, I can't breathe the same way and in as many times as Floyd did with the same shaking tenor. And he was one of over 430 Indigenous deaths in custody and not a single, not a single conviction. So we're dealing with it here too. You know, it's a global issue when we see something like Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmad Arbery because it is our problem as well. So how have you been using the Sorry Sorry platform to spread awareness with what's happening right now over there with Black Lives Matters, And how can we show solidarity, especially among Asian-American allies and Asian-Australian allies?
0: We've had these discussions whether it was individually within our own homes or between each other about racial disparities and different levels of discrimination. Um, And we all do our own work to educate ourselves as to how we can be better people in this world because we all need to be working towards that. Um, But it was important for us to say something and in saying something, calling out our own community because we've said, In multiple posts that it is not our job to educate on anti racism because we're not black or indigenous, we shouldn't be profiting off of that education, however, it is our duty as Filipinas as Filipinx folks to be calling out the errors in our community's ways Um, and In that it was just important for us to say it very bluntly. If you don't think, if you can't accept the fact that Asians can be racist, why? Why is it that you can't at least believe somebody else's pain and experience and speak up for that and stand with them? I think that it's it's a lot of... Well, there is a lot of colonial mentality that is present within our communities because of our history with colonization. And there is also a lot inherently with that, a lot of anti-blackness, but it's a lot of stuff that we are too scared to call out or too uncomfortable to call out. But we have to ask ourselves the question if our comfort is more important than lives, because literally that is what we're saying if we don't do anything. So we we know that we have a platform, we know that we don't do things perfectly all the time, which is why I even said earlier, we are so open to feedback because we also don't know that specific experience. None of us are black or indigenous, so we can never speak to that. So we're always open to listening and hearing what those folks have to say and moving from that because they know best. And so if it isn't coming from our community, or is it, if it isn't coming from our own experiences, and we have to listen from others. Um, but it was just important. It was, it's important at that time. It's important now. It was important before that. And we are all in different stages of unlearning these white capitalist patriarchal mentalities that we've been raised with. Um, and through that unlearning and learning of new things, it's been such a Powerful, frustrating, painful, but also liberating experience. And we only hope that more people and that in us talking about it, we're exposing our community to that experience too.
1: How about you, Guppy?
2: I think it's calling people out in your personal life and not only your family, but people at work too. And calling out your employer, calling out people directly that are related to you, not in a way to um cancel them or not in a way to uh completely vilify them but just in order to learn and to create this dialogue and in order to be like hey when you said this this and this this is how it made this could this is how it could be you know perceived or this is how it's wrong or this is the history behind it that's why this is not what you should be saying and like i think The more you have these conversations, and it's been uncomfortable for me, for sure, like, it's really hard to get these words out because I don't necessarily have the language or I'm not necessarily informed myself to know what to say. But the more you do it and the more you say it, I think it becomes more comfortable. And that's what we really have to start doing. And that's the hardest part.
1: I've been curious about is the various ways that people from the philippines are able to maintain a strong national identity and sense of culture and tradition wherever we are in the world you know we're known as a park nation there's like over 10 million of us living abroad so what are the ways that you've been able to retain your culture personally and professionally i think like in the
2: past few years especially with us starting sorry sorry we really have dug into our culture and a lot more than I have in my past, especially in my high school years or college years. But, um, now I really try to cook a lot of Filipino food and I call my parents a lot so that they can help me with the recipes. And recently I started taking a Filipino class or I have a tutor now or a Tagalog tutor. So I take that like twice a week. I was never really fluent ever i only really understand a bit so i feel like now is a great time for me to especially during quarantine just have another hobby and really learn more about it
3: i grew up uh speaking tagalog um because my parents just spoke it at home so i feel like i've always been um, connected with my culture through that and through I guess the way they raised me they wanted me to like grow up Filipino but at the same time living in America I just wanted to fit in with everyone else and kind of hid my Filipino side for the longest time until pretty recently I guess like in my 20s when I started seeing more and more people like embracing their own cultures I was like being Filipino is something that's a part of me and I can't like escape it. And I just wanted to like, I think it was like a missing piece to like who I am and my identity. Um, and also as an artist or photographer, like I've always wanted to explore more about like my culture, but I felt like I was just like trying to like fit into like the Asian American term
1: Mm, I relate to what you mean Marielle I went to school in Quezon City and I remember my school teacher told us we'd never get good jobs if we keep speaking Tagalog as an adult and that we needed to make English our main language and so she set up this penalty jar in class and every time we answered a question or asked a teacher about something in Tagalog she would force us to put our lunch money in the penalty jar as punishment which is weird because she wasn't even our English teacher I think it was a science (laughs) teacher or something and um so from there we just had to condition ourselves as kids to keep speaking english and i eventually phased out my tagalog tongue when i moved to australia in 1996 because i just wanted to fit in as an asian australian and i grew up to become a writer but I can't write much Tagalog now and I can only understand one of every five words that my Lola says, and that comes with being educated in a whitewash system where you are told to shun your own language. So I'm trying to relearn Tagalog now. Right. Yeah. Well, if you
2: need a good tu- tutor, I have one. If you ever want to brush up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> are they online?
2: Yeah. It's on, um, it's on Preply not to like plug them, but
1: <laughs> no, plug them, plug them. <laughs> How about you, Marielle? I love tabo, <laughs> which is,
3: I don't know how to say it in English, you know? Like, I was trying to search, like, tabo today, like, because I need
1: one. <laughs> um, but I don't know where to get it. I have tabo, the small pail you use in the bathroom? Yes. It's like a manual bidet.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> but it's just funny those things just trickle down and we don't even realize that that's a part of our culture and yet almost every philippine ex-person can identify with growing up and seeing in the bathroom or under the sink in the cupboard having a tabo there whether you used it or not it was just there
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah tabo in the corner (laughs) of the bathroom haunting you (laughs) Um, my funniest tagalog word that i love is agigil have you heard of that Yeah, I feel it captures the whole Filipinx emotion of just, you know, squeezing somebody who you love so much and you have tremendous adoration for. And so you pinch them so much that it kind (laughs) of hurts. And, you know, that whole giggle energy of being from the Philippines and squeezing the passion out of life is why I love that word so much. Um, And Mal, what's your favorite Tagalog word?
0: I, I guess like one of my favorite ones that kind of helped me understand a little bit more about Philippinex culture was kapwa honestly because I didn't realize that at the root of the indigenous Philippinex culture was this idea of kapwa and just through the years things have gotten a little bit skewed in terms of what that means to the actual people but that really helped me just realize that okay we're about community we are about being better together and not apart we are about supporting each other and so that was one that I really really liked and yeah yeah I think that's that's mine I know what mine is
2: I learned um from our friends who have this brand called Maari um Ivy and Jeanette so we collabed on a tote that is it was three women and it on the bottom of it, it said Kababa ihan and I didn't know this word before, but it's the role of women in the Philippines and Filipino culture, which is predominantly a matriarchal culture pre-colonial or pre-Spanish. So, I mean, it's something that I always knew but didn't know was actually a term because my family is very much matriarchal, <laughs> and I think we can kind of all identify with that for sure.
1: Well, speaking of self-identity, I wanted to talk about something for the moment, the term Filipinx, because some of my older relatives in the Philippines are confused about what this label means. And it's a great way to actually open up this conversation today because we all follow the same Facebook group, Subtle Filipino Traits. And there was a post recently where there was this debate about the term Filipinx that attracted 1,400 we comments. Had,
0: we, had, we had something similar happen.
3: We posted um in subtle Filipino rates on the Facebook um this article that we shot for Hot Bay and it's like titled was like Philippine X Beauty and then I posted it just to share, you know, but then like people just overlooked the whole article and just like focused in on the X and was like, what is Philippine X? And then that's when the whole
0: debate happened. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm just, I'm only, I'm not laughing to be like insensitive of the term. I'm just laughing because we didn't expect that kind of like an uproar for the term because it was in the title of, um the article, and I just wanna preface with saying we're discussing this term, but none of us here are non-binary folks. So um, they should be leading this conversation because we use that term to show our solidarity with them. Uh, So we're touching on this, but I do wanna acknowledge that if there is an unraveling of this term and and a further deeper discussion, it should be them that are leading that discussion, not us per se, Um, but to touch on that incident we did not expect for however many comments to come up. Um, What's been interesting as from an observational standpoint is that a lot of people who have grown up in uh, North America, so in Canada or in, in the USA, or who are active in activist circles, have been fully on board with that term and they understand the relevance of it the purpose of it why we use it which is to show our solidarity with non-binary and gender non-conforming folks Um, so that is an observation that we've seen and then we've seen that a lot of people who are Philippine natives who were born in the Philippines and potentially they moved over to the Americas or they're still living there. They have this really hard difficulty in accepting the term because we get the argument that the word Filipino is non-gendered already. But then we question that because we're like, but people use Filipina and Filipino. So I think the modern iterations of the word are actually gendered. However, the indigenous word I'm sure was not, which I'm not 100% sure. So I don't, don't quote me on that. (laughs) But um, the way that the language has changed has now revealed it to be gendered. And so we use the X to show our solidarity, but it's been that, that is like a, that is a hot topic for sure. In any, any space, even in our research. Um, even in our recent Instagram posts like that has also been commented on and personally when I saw that I was like you're taking away from what the purpose of this post is this is to focus on black lives right now this is not to have an argument on this term right now but yeah it's interesting that you touch on that because it's definitely a point of discussion for us (laughs)
1: I mean, you are right, you know, Filipino is a gender term, it's a masculine term, but it's also a term that's rooted in a Spanish colonialist era, you know, when we were named Filipinos by the Spanish settlers. So historically, uh, we didn't even identify as Filipino, or it's not at least how we would have described ourselves through our indigenous ancestors, Many people will say that Filipinx is an Americanized term and, um, you know, not being non-binary myself, I identify as a cis person. I want to show solidarity too with the LGBTQI community by saying Filipinx because we want to offer a platform where we can recalibrate the way that we address each other through an inclusive lens. But I also can see how frustrating it is for some, because feminists have fought so hard to make sure that we incorporate Filipina into the vocabulary, so yeah, I think it's a personal thing if people want to use Filipinex or Filipino or Filipina, Pinoy, Pinay, (laughs) but it is interesting that it's become a point of conversation when you just want to shoot an actual message through and then that term becomes embroiled in white noise.
0: Yeah. And you said it perfectly. It's a personal thing. Like if I use the term Philippinex and you don't, how does that harm you? And I think that that's something that people get very caught up in is this entitlement of trying to be their way all the time. And it's like everybody has the right to be who they want to be, to use the pronouns that they want to. It doesn't harm another person depending on what you choose to use. And so that's what just always frustrates me when those kinds of conversations come up
1: (laughs) speaking of conversations you also run a youtube tagalog learning series called drunk tagalog um could you tell us more about this and how drunk did you all actually get
0: (laughs) i don't think we we didn't get too drunk i well did we (laughs) we were working that day it all happened very very quickly um We had talked about wanting to do some kind of show that had to do with learning Tagalog because none of us can speak it fluently. I know very, very little Tagalog. My parents didn't speak it in my household. So all I knew were were the the remnants of things that I would hear from relatives when I was at my tita or tito's houses. Um, So we wanted to create something that was fun and not to, I guess, academic heavy, and a little bit more relaxed, and that included laughs. And so we had met Franch, who's one of the hosts, and JV uh, last year, I believe, in 2019, and just really enjoyed their personalities. And we were like, hey, do you two wanna host something for us? Because the ways that you interact, the ways that you just are is so funny. And that kind of merged with this idea of drunk Tagalog and Alayli, who's our producer for that show, who is based in New York as well. She was a huge, huge help in just corralling everybody together. So the first four episodes that we did was very last minute and happened very, very quickly. But the result of it was just something so much that was so much fun and and the response was really great from people they were like oh my god this is so funny and I'm learning and that was really the purpose of what we wanted to create so that's how that came about and then we made a game with it as well and um obviously with COVID right now nothing can really (laughs) push forward with that because we can't go into production for any filming stuff so we're just sitting on that for now and we'll return if it feels right afterwards
1: I suppose you could do Zoom happy hour drunk Tagalog. <laughs> we actually did. Oh, we did right. at the
0: very beginning, okay. yeah, at the very beginning of COVID, mm-hmm. at the very beginning of quarantine, actually. We um, just had these huge Zoom calls with like 30, 40 people, and we'd play drunk Tagalog. And the hosts would come on and just kind of question people who are in the Zoom chat. So that was really fun too.
1: So now that we're sort of exiting this post-pandemic, post-quarantine era and after the things we've discussed today, I want to end this episode by asking each of you about your vision for a new world at the other side of this. Uh, will it be revolutionary, hyper-aware, or sustainable? What do you want the future to look like based on what is happening today?
2: We all have had a lot of time in quarantine to reflect and think about how we can do better and what actions we actually need to take. So I hope when people start coming out of quarantine that people actually take the actions that need to happen and actually mobilize and do things that need to be done that have needed to be done for hundreds of years.
3: Um, Before we even like start jumping on the movement, we need to like fix what's happening inside Personally, I'm also looking at, like, everything um, from, like, my lens as a Filipino-American and how, like, this has always existed within our culture. Like, it's been ingrained in us, like, the colorism and the racism, anti-Blackness. Like, it could just be subconsciously, but it's, like, recognizing it and finding ways to, like, move forward.
0: I was listening to this live with Amanda Seals and a friend of hers the other day on her IG, and she's a Black woman. They were talking about this revolution that's happening right now, and they were both saying how this isn't a stop, like after this happens, something revolutionary isn't going to happen and fix everything. This is merely a comma in the story that is to continue, and I thought that that was really beautiful because, as much as there's a lot going on right now, and it is so important that whatever we're doing to dismantle the white supremacist patriarchy, and everything that we are doing to unlearn our racist tendencies and relearn how to and re and learn how to be better. We need to continue those things, and it's a lifelong process. So I think that a post-pandemic world, ideally, is going to look like one where people continue to have these awakenings and level up their consciousness and continue to learn more and more because we never know everything. And I think that we can continue to be curious and just continue to grow. And as long as we're doing that, we are doing our part. Because we can't, it's not just like, we'll do this one thing and, and we're redeemed for all of the things that we've done in the past. We have to continuously work to dismantle the system because that is what it's about is we we have grown up in this system that has continuously demeaned Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And so we have to work towards liberating that um, but I hope that's what it looks like. And it's interesting you also talk about sustainability because sustainability is so much also a part of indigenous culture. And so even in decolonizing our minds, we are also becoming more mindful of environmental sustainability. So I think it's it's just all so connected. And so we just need to continue learning and we're not gonna get it right every time. We're gonna keep having to make mistakes, but just learn from those and and keep going. We're all in this together, Kapwa.
1: Mal, Gabby, and Marielle, thanks for being our first guests on Interno. Thanks for having us. I'd like to end this episode with a poem called A Small Needful Fact by the African-American author Ross Gay, which was published in the Quarry, a social justice poetry database in Washington, D.C. in 2015. And it continues to remain urgent. A small needful fact is that Eric Ghana worked for some time for the Parks and Recreation Horticultural Department, which means perhaps that with his very large hands, perhaps in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some plants, which most likely, some of them in all likelihood, continue to grow continue to do what such plants do like house and feed small and necessary creatures, like being pleasant to touch and smell, like converting sunlight into food, like making it easier for us to breathe. Interno is produced by myself Mariam Ursilia. Part of the Making Art Work Initiative. Thanks for listening.